John Shoesmith is the outreach librarian at the Fisher Rare Book Library in Toronto and an expert. <laughs> Ex- expert's a bit of a loaded word. Um, a keen observer of the small and fine press movement. And the reason that I'm interviewing you is because of an exhibition that you uh, curated Mm -hmm. back in 2013 Mm -hmm. called A Death Greatly Exaggerated, Canada's Thriving Small and Fine Press. So perhaps we could just go through a chronological look at, first of all, the fine... Well, that's the thing. Fine press and small press... The lines blur a little yeah, bit, it does. and yet yeah. they also are fairly distinct at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's just kick it off okay. with uh, Robert Reed. Yes. Tell me about Robert Reed. So Robert Reed, who is still alive, mm-hmm. thankfully with us, I believe now he's in his 90s. He is. Basically, he in some ways created the small press, fine press movement in British Columbia. He was one of the first uh, printers. Eventually moved to New York. He did some graphic design work. He did books there as well. But he really put BC on the map in terms of creating uh, the fine press movement. BC right now is really flourishing as an area where fine press books are coming out of. I would say Robert's, his, his oeuvre, his importance is still felt by that community, whether it's, it's publishers and printers like Heavenly Monkey mm-hmm. out in British Columbia, whether it's Barbarian Press. Um, he's sort of, um, I would call him almost a father figure. And the fact that he's still producing books today, I think, is uh, is remarkable. He, he's not doing it for the money. Um, he's yes, doing he's... it for the love of the book. Mm-hmm. So I think he's a remarkable figure. Yeah, I feel the same way. He's just so full of enthusiasm mm-hmm. for, for everything to do with the book. Mm-hmm. So he, the first book that he produced, and it was in your exhibition, was Fraser... Minds. When people think of the fine press, they will think of lavishly illustrated books, for example, mm-hmm. beautiful bindings. And, and in that respect, the Fraser book is, is, is nothing, it's fairly innocuous looking. And people would say, well, why is this important then? Because it, it looks like every other book. What's important is that it's the first of its kind in the British Columbia. It's the f- in, fr- Canada, in, in Canada, Canada in, terms, yeah. in terms of a private press book. And that's where its import lies, not necessarily in... I mean, you could see books now that are... You know, Barbarian press, press is a great example where they're producing just these wonderfully lavishly illustrated mm. things. That first book from Reed, is it doesn't look like that at all. It's, no, but it's still a charming... It is. Yeah. It's very, very charming. And, and basically what he did, it's, it's actually an older text mm. that he's taken as well. So it's not a new text. And it's, it's, so in that respect, it's, it's, it's kind of a reproduction. But it's a reproduction done under Robert Reed's sort of meticulous care, meticulous care with, with the press, with the fine press. He thought it was the first book published in British Columbia, but it yeah. turns out it was actually the second. second. Yeah. yeah. There's also yeah. another one he did called Gold. Yeah, I'm, actually, I've got both yeah. of those. Because what I wanted to do with that exhibition, and I'm, I'm probably maybe going forward a little too much, is that I really wanted to, to take to have devote one case in the exhibition to Barbarian Press because I think, well, a we have their archives, so okay. it's, it's, it's great to be able to see the evolution of a, of a fine press book, how something is created, and Barbarian Press is a great example because you see, I took their what many consider their masterwork, the play of Pericles, which was about ten years in the making, a co-production with Simon Brett. 
the wood engraver. And it's great when you see the Barbarian Press archives here because you see the whole book storyboarded out. So what do you mean by that? Someone can come in and ask you to see that and you'll show yep. it to them? Yep. Right. Basically you'll see okay. everything from the original conception, the correspondence between Crispin Elstead and Simon Brett, who's mm. in, in England. And the, cor- and the correspondence is fantastic. It's just these two very intelligent, wonderful writers mm. riffing on not just books, but riffing on Shakespeare. And Crispin is a Shakespearean actor. He is, and, and a director. Yeah. I think he directed two or three productions of Pericles mm-hmm. back in, in the day. And Simon Brett, who's just very, extremely well-read. And they just to see these two guys, this, this correspondence between them. I mean, And it started out not an email. It started out as mail they sent between the two of them, and then eventually reverted to, to email. Mm-hmm. And it's great just to see the conception of the book arise from this very intelligent conversation about the source text. Then you see some of the early illustrations done by Simon, you see some of the early press work done by the Elsteads. Um, And so you get to really see in this archive the whole book come together Mm. and eventually the final book as well, which is just, it's it's a masterwork. If anybody ever asks me what is the high achievement in the Canadian fine press in the last decade or so, I'd probably point them to, to Barbarian Press's Pericles because it's just in in execution, concept, everything about it. I think it's just is just uh, is just wonderful. Let's get back to Robert. Yes. His masterwork. Would you say that it's the? Uh, I think Kuthan. Kuthan's yeah. Menagerie. You could tell me a bit about that one. Yeah, I mean, basically, he was working with George Kuthan, who was an artist. They. It's it's a, it's it's almost like a. A puckish little book. A puckish yeah. book. It's not a book. It's not little. It's a, it's a, it's it, it looks at all these different animals. It's not little. It's not little. No, it's no. not not very. It's, what is it's, it? It's, it's probably it's about a, almost a folio size. So it's fairly large, large format. It's just this delightful little illustrations, colored illustrations. Puckish is a really yes. good word for it. It it yeah. is. It's 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 very very charming. But it had an interesting publishing history because, as far as I understand, Robert only bound about 50 copies and and the rest of the sheets just left were left unbound and it kind of just I think it just fell off fell off his radar he just never ended up binding the rest of them and so what happened many years later was that uh, Roland Milroy at Heavenly Monkey um, came upon these sheets and decided rather than rebound them himself what he did was produce the book in another in a separate edition he created a new, new title page created a, a sort of a clamshell box for them as well, and published it under his own imprint, Heavenly Monkey, and as a sort of a traditional livre d'artiste, which back in the 1920s when artists were first creating books, they often didn't bound, bound, bound the sheets. They would just leave them unbound um, and create a box for them. And so that's what Roland did with with those sheets from Kuthan's Menagerie. And it's great because it basically he, he, he revived what I would consider Robert Reed's uh, masterwork. And and we've since we have actually since acquired um, a copy that Robert Reed bound. We just acquired it, I think, earlier this year, actually, not not uh, not not so long ago. Mm-hmm. So it's great. So now we have both the original Kuthan's Menagerie from Robert Reed, and we have the quote unquote reissue from Heavenly Monkey. The Fantastic. sheets are the same, though. Sheets are exactly yeah. the same. Yeah, sheets are exactly different, the same. Different binding. I mean, the, th- the yeah. thing with those that when I when I show though, I was showing those two copies to uh, George Walker's class. A few weeks ago, and because the sheets in in the Heavenly Monkey version aren't bound, just in terms of the last person that looked through it, 
the, the sheets are all out of order. And so that's what's interesting about some of these Livre d'Altise is that you get, um, you get a bound copy, which is always going to be the same. Mm -hmm. You get a copy that's unbound, someone will probably just muck, muck, muck around with the sheets and they're not in the same order anymore. So which is kind of interesting in its own way. But there's not a kind of an ongoing text. Then. Exactly. You, you, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it right. doesn't, it doesn't right. matter. And, that, and that's also, I think, part of the charm of the book is, right. th is that you can kind of look through it and, and every time someone moves some of the sheets around, it becomes an entirely different book. So I mean, okay. that's, that's, what, that's what's great about it. Okay, so Robert, very significant. Yes. He actually then moved to Montreal where he worked yeah. with the McGill University Press and yeah. produced a, another fantastic book, The Landy right. Bibliography of Canadiana. I think that's an incredible book. Yeah, I've never seen that book actually. You know, you can ha you can get it for two to three hundred dollars, not right. even. Right. It's 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 stunning. And the great and it's interesting you mentioned him going to, to McGill Press is that he, his apprentice work was sort of doing his own work. Mm -hmm. So he created, he learned the art of creating a book by creating his own books. And that then became a marketable skill when he moved to a commercial publisher. Another great example of that would be Will Reuter, who runs Aliquando Press. So who comes next after Robert then? If we focus just on fine, fine press. press. I mean, there was a there was a, a movement in Toronto at the same time. Um, Will Rude's father, Gus, was creating books. So creating, I mean, he wasn't creating sort of the same sort of fine press books that we think of today as well. Um, creating sort of smaller chapbook type things, and so so Gus Ruder was, I think, at the forefront. Really pushed ahead though by his son Will back in the early 1960s, and I mean that's when really to me the fine press movement and the small press movement really, really takes off is in the 60s, and particularly in Toronto. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be Toronto-centric. Because you can also go back to Montreal, too, with, uh, where you see small press movements like First Statement, um, yeah. like Louis Dudak, mm -hmm. uh, Irving Contact Lane, Press, Contact press uh, Raymond Souster. There was sort of a separate movement going on in there in Montreal, really focusing in on poetry. And, I mean, that was really driven out of McGill as well. And that was in the 50s. That, yeah. So that was in the 50s. And, but, and his, Leighton's wife, Betty Sutherland, did yes. a lot of interesting designs. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, but you see those, I mean, to, the, the, the design of those books, I would say, takes a backseat to the works of poetry. They, mm -hmm. were, they were more interested yeah. in, in, in the development of, of, of a literary scene in Canada, less so with the design of books. I mean, when, when you look at things like First Statement. I mean, some of the early ones are just basic yeah. mimeogram. And it's fine. I mean, they're, they're, I think in terms of, they may seem a little crude, but yet the import of those, of those early journals is, can't be underestimated. Because yeah. they're publishing some of, you know, they're publishing the works, first works of, say, Leonard Cohen. Yeah, that's some, the McGill series. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. some very, very important books were coming out of that scene as well. But if you wanted to sort of look at what was happening, I mean... But let's focus on fine press. Yes, yeah, so for the design. fine press, yeah. So when you get back to, to sort of the idea of fine press, I would say it really started to happen in Toronto. I mean, fine press books, as we were talking about before, there's a bit of a blurring of the lines between what we call the small press and the fine press. Mm -hmm. um, some people do want to keep them separately. I sort of see them, um, they do work in tandem. Well, fine press is typically the, the vision and the work of an individual. Exactly. And these individuals typically did work in a variety of different areas. Exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah because, I mean, obviously they're not making a lot of money. No. I mean, a lot of them were, were artists, 
But Let's get some names here then. Well, I mean, Will Reuter is a good example. I think Will yeah. Reuter is a great example who was doing who was doing some wonderful work back in, in the 60s. I mean, Will Reuter is still doing wonderful work now, he shouldn't, and, and he's probably doing some very creative work still right mm -hmm. now. So Will would definitely be one. But then you have to look at people, the importance of people like Stan Bevington to the movement. Mm -hmm. um, Stan Bevington at Coach House Press, because yes, the texts they were producing were important, but Stan also was really thinking about how books were constructed the look and feel of books at the same time. Mm -hmm. He was so connected to technology, too. He was. And bringing in new ways of doing things. He was. Yeah. He was very much in interested in that. And his importance and influence to to the fine press can't be minimized as well. Uh, so uh, Will Reuters, just to get it on the record, yep. it's Ali Kondo. Ali Kondo Press. Right. Um, they've been around for since the 60s. Will, as I said, did also have an alternate life as a book designer with the University of Toronto Press. That's how he made his living, because you're not going to make a living out of doing fine press books with l runs of, say, 50 at the most, maybe sometimes 100. Mm. You're not going to make very much money no, no, no. at all doing that. No, it's, as you it's, say, it's a love. It's of, a labor uh, of love, yeah, It's yeah. but it's also a way, in my opinion, for them to play with form, to try out different things. Um, which obviously, being at University of Toronto Press, he's not going to be able to take too many chances on on how a book will be, how a book will look. Although, I mean, he worked with Alan Fleming, who yes. was yep. an innovator yep. and, a, and a brilliant book designer. Yeah. No, and yeah, and, and that 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 kind of uh, you know, whether it's collegiality or community, I think is mm. very important because I mean, Will, for example, Will Reuter and Stan Bevington were very close friends back in the 60s mm. and I think that kind of community that they were establishing was was very important to them. There was a community of, of individuals, mm -hmm. um, many who are probably now probably now lost. We do we do have some of those you know some of those early press books. They're almost like almost broadsheets, um, not necessarily books per se, but that's where people were were trying out typesetting ideas, were trying out trying out different methods. So there, there is, there is kind of that that uh, that historical interest in, in some of that work as well. Then there's Glenn Galuska. Glenn Galuska, interesting enough, we're actually early in January. We're going to be putting together um, an exhibition, mostly being run out of the Kelly Library at St. Mike's, where Glenn was a student back in the '60s who came up from from the United States. And I mean, we we also have a great collection of Galuska stuff. Massey College has another great great collection. So basically, it's it's a um, it's a tri library effort amongst some of the different libraries here that are putting together this exhibition on Galuska material. Now he worked a bit at uh, Coach House, but he, he had his own press too. Yes, right? so he so he got a start. He just came up and essentially introduced himself to Stan and said, "I'm interested in typesetting how books are made." And and Stan gave him a job, and and Glenn and Glenn did have his own imprint as well. And what was that one called? Dromedaria. Dromedaria Emperor. I can't remember the exact name of it now. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> but um, but he. I mean, he was doing he was doing a lot of interesting work as well. He was playing with form. He would do accordion style books. You know, the great thing about these guys is that they come up with an idea and they try to they, they try to put it together. And they do like they all like playing with form, and Galuska was great with. That. I mean, Galuska's influence too. I mean, he just worked out of a small studio. I think that was on Harvard Street, mm -hmm. just just around the corner from here. It was a very small apartment. I think they basically jammed uh, a Vandercook Press <laughs> into into that apartment and just started producing work. I mean, it's it's idiosyncratic in some ways, 
that's part of the charm for me. Well, what do you mean? That? But it's but it's idiosyncratic. It's I mean because he, he, he was playing with form often. It's it's he wasn't always adhering to the traditional form of the book, which is great to see. So what what does that mean? What did he do? He would he would do, well he would do sometimes really large. He actually worked with Atwood on a couple of projects as well, Margaret Atwood. Um, and I can't remember the title of that. Was that a fundraiser? No, I think it's... They might have done one for a fundraiser, but I know that Atwood was kind of interested in creating something a little bit unique as well. Okay. And so I don't know who established the contact between her and Glenn. Um, it might well have been Stan. And incidentally, you just showed me her first yes. poetry book. Yes, Double Persephone. Or, no, no, it's like a chapbook, and yeah, she designed it and made it, She right? designed the whole thing. Um, you know, she did this little sort of charming, uh, charming lino cut on, on the cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you can see, this is this one's kind of falling apart. The glue's kind of come, come apart. I remember her saying that she wished she had more of these, um, simply because, I mean, it was being sold, I think, for about a dollar or so. And now if you get a nice copy of it, it's probably upwards of about $3,000. <laughs> so that's how she always jokes that it would, be, would it be nice for her to have a few more copies of this. Mm-hmm. But this, I mean, it's this is how writers often got their start. Mm-hmm. Would be producing their own work. I mean, and it's still something that that a lot of people that are producing books do. To, a lot of writers today are yep. still doing. Is that is maybe this is a little bit off topic when you talk about. Fine press, which Fine. is where we want yeah, to stay. Yeah. yeah, but in terms of kind of publishing now, everyone thinks it's so easy because you can just publish on the web. But in many ways, web is very ephemeral. And so you see a lot of movement now. You go to book fairs and you see a lot of younger people that are interested in, in the craft of books, the craft mm-hmm. of making books and the art of making books because it's so much less ephemeral than it would be if you're just simply publishing on the web. I mean, they're not necessarily producing beautiful fine press work. But it's tangible. And it's tangible, and, mm-hmm. it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's important to them to see their, to someone be able to walk out with a copy of their, of their poetry or their prose or whatever, because it's, 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 it's material. So. Okay, so we've got Glenn, and that takes us into the 70s, I guess. Yep. Who else? Hmm, I mean... You, I mean, there, there was. I'm, in some ways, we don't have a lot of material from, especially in Canada, in the '70s, because I think there wasn't the fine press movement wasn't necessarily dying, but I mean, I think there wasn't as much interest in producing really beautiful books. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are still these very important publishers, whether it's. You know, House of Anansi would be another one. Although their books aren't the most, they're not. Designed. They're not at all. And in some ways, uh, yeah, some of their books are a little bit crude. Porcupine's Quill, I think. Yeah. Because I just see you open to that page. Porcupine's Quill is a great example of of, of a of a small press publisher that I would say, in many ways, they, they don't necessarily cross the line in terms of fine press, but their books mm. are really beautifully produced. Well, and both Stan Bevington and Tim Inkster mm-hmm. have won a ton of yes. Alcune book yes, design awards. exactly. You know, in some ways, I kind of look to people like Tim, who's still producing books. Tim Inkster, yeah. Tim Inkster is still producing some wonderful, wonderful works. And his influence was very important as well, not just in terms of the texts he was releasing. Um, he was producing some very important books of poetry. But he really spends a lot of time thinking about design, thinking about the product itself. And, I mean, that goes back to when he first started, uh, started up in the 1970s. Those, those people are, are still hugely important to the movement. 
When did Shant, uh, Shanty Bay Press? Shanty Bay. I mean, Shanty Bay Press. Up. I mean, they they're an imprint of um, of an artist, Walter Baczynski, and his wife Jan. Walter. The funny thing with Walter, he start probably he must have started in the 1980s. He was he's an artist. He's a sculptor. Um, he produced paintings, but he always had an interest in in printing. Mm-hmm. He always had an interest in 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 the art of printmaking. And so I think he just, as he was telling me once, is that, yes, you can produce a painting, it goes up on somebody's wall, and that one individual or family, whoever buys that painting, can enjoy it. He wanted to, this idea of getting his work out, his artistry out, to a larger work, to, a, to, a, to the larger world. And the best way to do that is really by, uh, by making books. I mean, it's, it's similar to, what, to, the, to the way you think of the history of photography. The history of photography is really also about the history of photography books because that's how, photo, that's how art, ph- photographic artists got their work out by producing books. One of the inventors of it, one of the first things, Fox Talbot, yeah. that's one of the first things he did was come up with a book. And so for artists like Walter Baczynski, he was a professor at uh, Guelph University for many years, um, but always producing art. And so he just became interested in, in book production. And so his wife, Jan, who he works with very closely, she took um, some coursework with, with George Walker. George Walker is? George Walker is a wood engraver here in Toronto, um, wood engraver and book artist, and uh, produces books under his own imprint as well, limited edition books. He does what's called wordless narratives, which has a long not a super long history, but it has a history going back to the 1930s, particularly with um, the artist Lynn Ward. Lynn Ward was, was a wood engraver as well, and his masterwork, many, many consider his book God's Man, his masterwork. So basically a story told exclusively through illustration, no text at all. And George Walker is doing exactly those type of books today. Yeah, he did one on Tom Thompson. did one on Tom Thompson. Conrad Black. Conrad Black. <laughs> he's done one on uh, Pierre Trudeau. Oh, okay. He's, I think, in the mix, midst of finishing his latest one on Mary Pickford. Yeah. So what he's doing now, he's mostly choosing Canadian subjects. One of the his real works of art, real great achievements, was a book called The Book of Hours, which was, looked at... at uh, the, at nine, the events of 9-11, um, hmm. told the story of a very sort of mundane office environment that suddenly got disrupted by um, jets going into the Twin Towers. Very beautiful book, very hmm. stunning work. Um, woodcuts. All woodcuts. Yeah, okay. But now he's focusing, as he told me, exclusively on, on, on Canadian subjects. And so anyway, so, so Jan took some work, took um, some courses from George. Um, mm-hmm. She really learned how to typeset and bookbinding from uh, from from the Elsteads, the Barbarian Press folks. Out Another in, Jan in, in Mission BC. Does your name have to be Jan? Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's <laughs> it. And so they so so Walter and Jan work very closely together in terms of producing. Pr- they're producing works of art. Actually, I have, I've, I'm showing one later today in a in a class. Mm. Um, Not cir- circus is their masterwork. Cir- they have, yeah, so they have two cir- they have two books of circus, but basically poems around the theme of circus. Very very. Beautiful, colorful. It is. Yeah. It is. Uh, primarily in, in the technique called pouchoir, so mm-hmm. which is just a sen- essentially stenciling. I <laughs> mean, extremely laborious. But when you see the books, they're such they're 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 vividly illustrated and very creatively illustrated too. I mean, Walter is not um, a quote unquote conventional artist. Some of the work is abstract. 
um, very symbolic. But the marriage that they have of text and illustration, they take a lot of care when they're producing their books. Not that the others don't. No, but, but. exactly. But for, but for them, you know, a, a book, it, it takes two or three years for them to produce. They're not churning these out. Mm-hmm. And none of, I mean, a lot of the fine press people aren't churning them out no, because no. They, just, they, they just, they can't. They just don't have the means of production or really the interest at the same time. It, it just has to take that long. It has to take that long because they're producing works of art. These are not books, obviously, you can go buy at Indigo. The, the thing that a lot of these fine press book artists struggle with most is selling. Mm-hmm. How do you get mm-hmm. your words out there? I mean, some some do have regular channels, regular um, book collectors that they deal with all the time, and it's great when you see, when you get a, when you see an archive of of the material to see, you know, their kind of list of subscribers. In some ways, it's also almost a throwback to the early days of to the night printing in nineteenth century in Canada. One of the great early successes uh, books production successes in Canada was a book called Canadian Wildflowers. Right. Is that one of the Strickland? Ag- yes, it? Yeah. exactly. Angus Chamberlain. And so we have the archive of that, for example. And you see that, you know, they're only producing as many books as they have subscribers. So you get to see the subscription list of all the people that are purchasing the books. So you can come in and see, for example, Barbarian's subscriber list? Uh, they, I don't think they've donated that. But one who has donated that to us, um, the sales records anyway, is, is Alan Steen. Oh, yes, that's Alan the church. Church, church. Church Street Press. Okay. So Alan has donated his archives to us as well. Mm-hmm. And he's out of uh, he's Owen. Owen Sound. And, so, and a lot of his subjects really do deal with, with the Georgian Bay Area. So he okay. might actually be in Perry Sound. Perry Sound or Owen Sound, one of those two. Um, and again, he's another great example of someone that started out in another medium. His, he was originally an artist of stained glass. So that was his interest. Um, lived um, lived in Toronto. And there's a couple of you, you go. To, there's a school actually. If you drive down Beverly, um, that has one of his stained glass windows that that you can see. But he also realized that you can't make you can't make a living out of doing stained glass either. Right. And um, he's bouncing from one exactly. lucrative. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, he's 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 an artist in his own right. I mean, yeah. he, he again, he's uh, he. He's, he does he does some wonderful work, but he also got interested as well in in the art of the book, mm-hmm. and it's, he knew that was a means for him to have his artwork out to a larger audience. And um, also, not quite immortality, but these books are going to last for hundreds they are. of years. They're going to last a lot. And the great thing about him is that he he's big on collaboration, so he will often illustrate um, illustrate poetry. Mm-hmm. So he's worked with P.K. Page. For example, mm. he did a book of Al Purdy mm. uh, poems. Mm-hmm. Um, his most recent one, which I think is coming out very shortly, is a book where he's concentrated on um, texts revolving around the Georgian Bay Area. So mm. he's commissioned some, I think David McFarlane has written a piece. Um, there's a whole bunch of different writers that are associated, that are written about in the Georgian Bay mm. that he's, um, I don't know how many there are in total, but he's, so he's illustrating works based on these texts. His books are really beautifully produced as well. This is actually, he was telling me with the Georgian Bay book that it's the most he's ever had to typeset because there's so much text. <laughs> and he's not, normally, he's not normally accustomed to doing that much text. So I think it's been, it's been a bit of a challenging project for him. Okay. But I think also very rewarding. So, so there, there's, there's another example of someone that, um, from, from a different medium that's chosen to do, to focus on the art of the book as well. 
I'm just looking through the catalog, and I'm mm-hmm. noticing that we jumped over uh, Richard Utram and, and his wife as well, yep. the Gauntlet Press. Yep. When, when was that one set up? So that was, they, they began in the 1960s as well. And I, his work is, um, you can see when you see all of his books, there's very kind of a uniformity about them. There's, mm-hmm. there's a consistency with, with the types of books he was producing. Um, and his wife was an artist and his he wife, was a poet. Right? He was a poet. He also worked at CBC for many years, so that's how yeah. he was making his living. And, um, and his wife, Barbara. Um, yeah, Barbara Howard, is Barbara it? Barbara Howard, yeah, I think yeah. that was her. Um, again, they worked very, very closely together mm-hmm. um, in terms of producing these books because a lot of them, um, she, she illustrated a lot of them. But really, I mean, he really, again, focused on primarily his own poetry. Many people think, consider him a very underrated and unacknowledged poet in Canada. I know Alberto Mangel, for example, thought mm-hmm. very, very highly of Richard Utram's work. And again, he was published by some of the larger presses as well, some of his, his works of poetry. But to get his own work out, he was producing these, these really wonderful books um, under his own imprint. You, you hold one of his books and you, you, it, it just feels so wonderful in your hands. The materiality of one of his books um, always feels so great to me. Okay. Sa- I mean, sad story with him is that when his wife Barbara died, he was pretty devastated by that and essentially um, sat on his porch and froze to death. Yeah. So a poetic death, I suppose. That was in Port Hope, was it? Yeah, or? I think it was somewhere around there. But you can, and that because I mean that collaboration was uh, he probably wouldn't have been able to produce the books that he was doing without that close collaboration with his wife Barbara. Anyone else find press coming up into um, the? 70s, you can think of? Not in the 70s, no. Okay, how about 80s then? The 80s, I mean, that's, that's, that was the thing with this particular exhibition, is that I felt it was a little daunting to do kind of the entire scope of the small and fine press in Canada, because mm. it would require a book. Yeah. Um, and it's something yeah. actually, in the future, I am hoping to do, um, I am do, hoping to do a larger book on the movement in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted to focus it in on what was happening since the 2000s, especially because that's why I chose the title I did, A Death Greatly Exaggerated. You know, as, as recently as a few years ago, people were sounding, sounding the death knell yeah, of, the print, of the printed book. All sorts you know, of angst. Yes, yeah. the Kindle was going to take over and nobody was, was, was interested in the printed word anymore. And yet I go to, I, you go to these small press fairs, these fine press fairs, they're not empty. <laughs> There are plenty of people looking around. There are plenty of people buying these materials. I mean, you hate to think that it's become the fine press movement. It, it, books are only being produced, produced because of their, because they're a fetish. Because they're not a fetish. They're, I mean, the, the, the book, as we always like to talk, I mean, it's, we're sort of a captured audience here at the Fisher Library because um, we always talk about the fact that, you know, the book has been around five, six hundred years. It's been pretty durable. Great piece of technology. It's, I, they've yet to improve mm-hmm. on the invention of the book in terms of transfer of knowledge, transfer of information. I mean, I, we all like e- e-readers. I mean, I use read my New York Times. I hate them. I read my New York Times on my iPad or the Washington Post. Sometimes I'll read the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only ever read one book on an e-reader and discovered it was not really for me. I took it out of the library. It was a book about um, book about tennis. But uh, you're, but basically, you're saying is that the tangible book itself, yes. beautifully made, is 
far from dead. In fact, of it's thriving. It that, is thriving. That was the point you made. Exactly. Right? And, and that's yeah. why I really wanted to look at what was happening from about 2000 onward. I see. With some historical, um, yeah. so you need some sort of historical context to yeah. understand where we've come from. We can't cover everyone here, yeah. obviously, but there's the Frog Hollow Press. Right. There's Green Boat. Green Boat. Yeah. I mean, they're all... That's out t- west. Texas. I mean, and that's an, another great one, of course, is, is Gaspro. Yeah, Gaspro being the small press. Yeah. But yeah, they're as close to fine press they production are. as you can find. Of course they are. And, I th- and, yeah. I, and, and Andrew Steves, mm-hmm. who, um, who, who co-runs um, Gaspro, mm-hmm. um, he's very much influenced by some of these early pioneers in Canada, whether it's, whether it's Glenn Galuska, who mm-hmm. he, you know, he's written about in the past. He's got his equipment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so Galuska, he's in, Will Root, he's very close friends with Will Rooter, close friends with Stan. So he's interested in in that evolution. Yeah, fine. he's a scholar. He is very yeah. much a scholar. Autodidactic at the same time, too, mm-hmm. because he essentially taught himself. I always joke right. about him because he, I think he built his own house. He built a canoe. <laughs> okay. He could do anything. And, and, he pro- and he probably could have done He probably could have done, made money doing anything in life. But he's decided to focus on books because he loves the book form. Um, and it's obvious when you see his books. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's worked with, um, just last night actually, we had the, uh, the wood engraver Wesley Bates here. You know, known primarily as an illustrator, but he's also done his own, his own little books as well, um, which fall, I would say, into the tradition of the fine press as well. Because they're, they, they're, um, they are wordless. They're, they're wordless narratives in the same way that Lynn Ward and, and George Walker are now doing. And, and the great thing about this community as I said to you before, they are a community. They all know one another. They all sort of mm. learn from one another. Yep. I mean, for example, there's another one in Toronto who I, I didn't actually have any of his books in, in the exhibition, mm-hmm. is uh, Michael Trozian of Lumiere yes, I was Press. Waiting, I was waiting for you to say that because yes. I, I interviewed him yesterday, the day before yesterday? Yesterday, yep. anyway. So that's coming up Mike, on the Bibliophile. Michael is um, very interesting character. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually donated his archives to us as well and we're going to be actually having an exhibition yeah when's that and that's going to be next fall it's so fall so this so basically basically this time next year yeah there'll okay. be an exhibition of uh, of michael's of michael's uh, michael's complete archive and he's unique in combining photography and fine press. yes i mean, yeah. I mean he came out of a photographer of the photography world he was a yeah. photographer um and as you know glenn galuska and stan bevington yeah big influence on him. Exactly. So. And, but that being said, some of Michael's uh, type has now with Shanty Bay. So you can... Incestuous, eh? It is. It's, all, it's, the, it's, this, it's this small world where they're yeah. all working in tandem. Mm-hmm. I, mean, that, that, I mean, that's the great thing about this community is they're not necessarily in competition with one another because they all do the very unique works in their own right. And yeah. I guess it's just a question of uh, having a look at them all and then decide if you do want to collect, then yes. obviously whichever strikes a chord with you then exactly that's where you go exactly and i mean michael tarosian is a great example of mm. of having a really core dedicated group of of buyers for his books mm-hmm. and he's a he's a very astute businessman he is that was the sense that i came away with he is he's so he's 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 knows how to I mean, first and foremost, his books are beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's won many Alcan Society awards now as well. I mean, he, I, I call him a bit, he's, he's a bit of a type A personality in the fact that everything he does, he wants to do 
well. Perfectly. Yes, yeah. he's not yeah. going to. Even, and even, I remember Stan Bevington telling me that if you go to Michael's studio, his print, print shop, it's the cleanest print shop. Uh, uh, just you'll, exactly you'll what I see. said. That's exactly what I said. Yeah. In fact, I've got the photographs to prove it. And yes. He told me I was there on a good day oh, because you know. He, the, I think he no. said that to me once before. <laughs> yeah. I've been I've been to his I've been to his print shop now uh, four or five times. Right. And it's oh, isn't that a kind of immaculate yeah. shape? But I mean, but again, and he's found a niche for himself as well, mm-hmm. where he's looking at photographers. Mm-hmm. But his books definitely would fall into the category of the fine press. Yes, as I say, it's it's a kind of a unique combination that he's he's yeah. come up with. And that, and that's where you know the fine press world. You can't necessarily confine it to say, oh, you know, you look at a Shanty Bay Shanty Bay Press book. Oh, that's that I understand as the fine press. Mm. Sure, but then you look at work like Michael's, which is also he takes a very scholarly approach. To his subjects as well, mm-hmm. um, does extensive interviews with the people he's writing on. So they're working as well as a primary source for if you're studying a particular photographer, mm-hmm. whether it's Saul Leiter or whoever. His books are are con- contributing to the scholarship. Yet on the other hand, his books are also beautifully produced books. They're mm-hmm. contributing to the art of the book at the same time. Heavenly Monkey is another great example. Um, I don't know if you ever met Roland Milroy. Never, no. I mean, I've never, I haven't met him either. I've only dealt with him via email. Mm-hmm. He's such an interesting, interesting bookmaker because he does something very similar where he's creating, he's a couple of books that he, one is on folding paper and it's about the art of folding paper. And so in that respect... But folding paper folding, or like, folding paper? Folding, the, way, the way paper's folded, like, you know, different okay. um, origami type things. So really, it's, it's, in some ways, it's a reference manual at the same time, it's also operating as a fine press book. Yeah. And again, that's a kind of a niche that he's exploring as well. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that kind of marriage. A book that is instructional and is adding to our understanding of, 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 a, of a different area. And yet the books themselves are beautifully produced. Yeah, objects of art. They're objects yeah. of art in their own right. Okay. You think we've uh, missed let's anyone? Let me see. Let me take a look. As I said, I did this exhibition a number of years ago. Do you know much about Green Boat? Don't know much about them. I mean, they do. I mean, they produce quite a number of books. They mm. produce a dozen books or so during the year, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, again, they're producing books that are they're they're part of Canadian of Canlit. But on the other hand, they're also supremely produced. Mm. Another good one is uh, the Hellbox Press, mm. which is the imprint of Hugh Barclay, and Hugh was a um, I think he was a dentist. No. I, oh, you know, orthotics. He did yeah, orthotics. That's yeah. right. He did orthotics, and then just sort of got interested in, in, in the art of the book. I've just heard that he's retired. Is he retired? Mm-hmm. That's too bad. But uh, I know he was. I know he was slowing down. One of the things that the, the kind of revelation that I had about him is that he he doesn't go for perfect printing. It's no. A, it's a different tradition. Yeah. He just wants to what? He, I mean, he obviously works with with his hands, just as the others do. He's, inter- he's interested in text as well. He's interested yeah. in, 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 the, in what is actually in the book at the same time. But the, you know, the, the printing itself isn't what you might classify as good or perfect. Right. It's, well, is there a name for that? Uh, I'm sure the Germans have a word for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not... It's, it's just a different tradition yeah, or a different approach. Exactly. I mean, it's certainly not messy. It's kind of his own, I would say, his own unique sensibility. Yeah, I mean, he's not doing it in the same tradition as Michael Tarosian. 
It's almost like a chapbook tradition. It is. It is a chapbook tradition. But he's still, I mean, he's still coming up with sort of some unique ideas. The one I had in that particular exhibition, Mm. it was a Marilyn Simmons book, I believe. And essentially, he didn't cut all the pages. That's right. They they let, and they gave you a a knife. They gave you a knife. So for him, it was, he was saying that I'm allowing you to participate Mm -hmm. in the creation of this book. Yeah. Because I haven't cut all the pages. So whatever page you want to cut, you can do the, go do that yourself. Just like the reader participates in the text. Exactly, you know, but, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's a, it's another level of interaction sure. that he wanted to add. So very, I mean, it's sort of a sort of a clever, mm-hmm. a clever idea. Very, very sort of um, a very novel idea. So, do you have any more um, exhibitions coming up? Because I think I read that you were doing things on campus at the U of T. Yeah. Or? So yeah. So we're going to be doing a an exhibition um, focusing on Glenn Galuska. January. So that'll be so our the Fisher portion of it will be in January. So okay. it'll, run, it'll run to the month of January, and it, we have a large exhibition area here, which is reserved for our large scale exhibitions, like um, Death Greatly Exaggerated. But we have a smaller display case where we can do where we rotate every month. Uh, so we're participating in the in the Galuska thing. I mean, a lot of it's being run out of, as I said, the the Kelly Library yeah, okay. and Massey College. Um, Any other exhibitions? Tarosian. Tarosian will be next fall. 2019. Yeah. I'm also curating the exhibition right after that, which is looking at looking at the development of Canlit in Canada, particularly after the Second World War. Um, hmm. So we'll be using a lot of our archival resources for that. But I'm definitely going to be reserving one area of it that will look at, at the small press. Small press, hmm. more, more the small press than the fine press, because... Yeah. The small press movement was so important to the development of Canlit, whether it's this Margaret Atwood chapbook, for example, or you know some of the early mimeograph journals, um, ones that were coming out of BC as well, like Tisch. It'd be nice to include maybe a few finer, finer press books, I think, um, in that exhibition. But we'll see. It's still, it's still being. I'm co-curating that with a colleague of mine, mm-hmm. so we're still kind of working on kind of the uh, kind of the mechanics of that. But I do hope to basically an exhibition like this can be revived every 10 years or so. We're always purchasing in this area. I do have a budget to, to buy fine press books. That must be fun for you. I've, I'm not a collector in my own right. I yeah. don't collect books. I live in an but apartment. still you get to go out I get and to, buy I get, it. I get and, to buy material. And use what? Use your eye to determine what you think is... Yeah, I mean, it's a bit dangerous when you start thinking about only my, only my own aesthetics mm-hmm. are, are going to be making decisions. Yeah, yeah. You have to think about um, who's important. I'm not going to be a fan of all the work, a strong fan of all the work I'm, I'm purchasing for the library, simply because you can't like everything. That being said, you need to purchase things that are representative samples of, of, the, of the scene in Canada. Um, I mean, one area that we're also really trying to beef up, which is sort of related to the fine press, are artist books. So one-off books by, um, by Canadian artists. Um, it's not a huge tradition, in Canada, um, but there's still people that are producing producing one-offs, and so, but they're very expensive as well, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're buying them from fairly well-established Canadian artists. Um, they don't come cheap, but they're important for us to have as well because it's 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 a separate, it's an offshoot a little bit of the fine press, because they're producing really high-quality books, but it's kind of their own little subsection as well. Mm-hmm. And things, uh, other things I'm interested in too are the art of the bookbinding. Art of bookbinders. There's some wonderful bookbinders here in Toronto. Don Taylor is one. Uh, Robert Wu, who take commissions. 
um, and they'll rebind books that you want them that, that you might like and um, you give them an idea, they'll run with it. You can do all kinds of things when it comes to these type of exhibitions. Yeah. Um, so again, it'll probably be one we I'll, I'll do again in 10 years after that, so we're looking at probably 2023. Okay. Um, hopefully coincide with a research leave that I'll have. And I would like to actually write a book about the history of the movement in Canada. Both small and small, fine. Small and fine. You could argue you could do two different books, but I think in, in, terms, of, in terms of an audience, you'd probably need to combine the two mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. Because um, I, think, I think history is still happening, but a comprehensive history is still to be written. And a great thing about this library is that we have the resources for it. We have so much of this material already. And, it's, and it's so it's, it's, it's easy for me to do the research mm-hmm. because the books are here. Right. Um, and as I said, we're continuing to buy these books as well. Mm-hmm. So it's always going to be it's always going to be such a collecting uh, part of our collection mandate is 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 small and fine press materials. So people who are interested in the small and fine press movement in mm-hmm. Canada mm-hmm. they wouldn't go wrong in in actually buying one of these nope. uh, catalogs. Yeah, I would I would I would say it's it's a it's a primer. It doesn't it's not comprehensive yes. by any means, no. but it And I couldn't be it would be impossible to do something that's overly comprehensive simply because mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was I had a full time job, still right. do, as I was trying to put that together. Sure. Um, and but so, but you know what? Too uh, sorry to interrupt. Uh, you've got the cover designed by Will Ruder. By Will Ruder. And the book designed, designed by, by Stan Bevington. So I mean, that was very that's pretty great. That was very deliberate on my part to make sure that that Stan, first of all, was involved with the production of the book. I mean, Coach House does the bulk of our exhibition catalogs anyway. But I was really keen on having Stan design this one because I mean he's he's a legend I mean he's his influence on the small press in Canada um, can't be minimized and I think the fact and actually the 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 the, the cover of the Will Ruder Alaquando that yeah. actually is a total one-off that's it's it's actually a charming little uh, it's sort of it's sort of like accordion style book because it, it's a bit of a pop-out book actually and it looks at the uh, development of, of the printing press okay. so he's he's taken um, I think he actually called it something Gutenberg's, Guten, Gutenberg's printing house, or printing shop, or something. And it's only fifteen bucks. It's only fifteen dollars. What you get it from the you can Fisher, Fisher Library. You can um, on, on your website on the website. Okay. It's 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 a there's a link to uh, what's a link the, to order what's and the address. Yeah, it's fisher.library.utoronto.ca. Okay. Yeah. Great. Because even even if that's wrong. It'll redirect you to the right one. Okay. <laughs> so because the websites change, the URLs every time we do a new content management system, they they change the URL in us. Um, but that will redirect to uh, to the to the Fisher site. All all of our books are cataloged in the main University of Toronto um, online system. If you do a subject search on Fine Press, on artist books, uh, chap books, all this material will show up. In the catalog, and it's all it's all available to anybody that wants to come and look at the materials. Can you do that online? Or you can you can or pre-order your material online. Um, meaning you can do you can, that you, and then come in and and then it'll it, it'll be here waiting for you in the reading room upon your arrival. Obviously, this is not a circulating collection. Yeah, you can pre-order the material. It's waiting for you in the reading room upon your arrival. They're doing a lot of coursework now in at the library school on 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 bookmaking. 
which is great. So a lot of these materials are really being used um, because people are interested in 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 book creation mm-hmm. and 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 in the art of the book. Usually, the prof that teaches that course will conduct at least one session here at at, at the Fisher, displaying so many of the different. Um, different types of books that you can see in in Canada. Any other uh, recommendations to someone who's interested in the small and fine press movement in Canada, other than acquiring this catalog and and perhaps uh, going online if they happen to be in the Toronto area? I'd say look out for the different fairs in Canada. I mean, there's so not that many though, right? So many of them are concentrated in Toronto. Yeah, that's for sure. There's also, I mean, there's one in New York, the New York Artist Book Fair where you'll see a lot of these types of things as well. There's Codex. There's Codex, exactly, in California. In California. There's one in Delaware. It's uh, Oak Knoll. Oak Knoll. Fest. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, though, that does require some travel and some pre-planning. The, in Toronto, there's the Antiquarian Book Fair uh, that runs in November at the, uh, at the AGO. And you, so you so the get... vendors there, so certain vendors there will, will be selling um, fine press books. Okay. There's an, there's, I mean, they know, they know there's an audience for that. And so because some people, Heavenly Monkey is a good example, where they don't sell direct. They only sell through uh, booksellers. Hmm. And so they've established relationships with one or two of these um, book dealers in Canada mm-hmm. to sell their material. So Robert Wright, for example, who I think is out in Port Hope. No, he's in Tamworth. Tamworth. Um, so near Kingston. Near Kingston. Mm-hmm. So so he he has an interest, he has very avid interest in the small and fine press. Uh, Jacob Quinlan. In Peterborough, he hasn't been in the book trade for all that long, but he's got a great eye. Uh, he's got a great website. Too. Great website. Yeah. So he's yeah. he's creating another catalog of uh, fine press materials. So we we purchase from him, and he's selling a lot of a lot of these book artists as well. So the Antiquarian Book Fair is one. The um, what used to be the OCAD Fair, which is now at the Arts and Letters Club in Toronto, which runs in December. Um, Just in time for Christmas. They're wonderful gifts. They're wonderful they're, gifts. They're not overpriced they're not by overpriced. any means. No. But, but, you know, you have to realize they're, they, they've taken they're work. so they're, much you're, effort. You're buying, you're buying a work of art. You know, I had, a, I had a book plate designed for my partner by Wesley Bates. If anybody wants a perfect gift for somebody that's mm. a book reader, that's a bibliophile, a book plate, an ex libris book plate by one of these artists, whether it's George, George Walker does them as well, mm. Wesley Bates does them, they make amazing gifts. But in t- we, the, So the Fisher Library also runs its own small and fine press fair. Okay. We do it every two years now. So the next one is scheduled for 2019. It'll be September, whatever the, whatever the, the Saturday after Labor Day in September in 2019. And a lot of the artists that a lot of the book artists that are represented in that catalog will be here. Whether it's Will Reuter, uh, George Walker, uh, Larry Thompson, uh, Walter at Shanty Bay Press, um, they all have a set up set up a booth, um, and they have some beautiful merchandise on sale. For them too, it's 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 a way for them to catch up with one another as well. As, mm-hmm. as I said, it really is it really is a community. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a it's a great venue for them as well, just to kind of. Um, just to kind of renew acquaintances. Very, very yes. good. Very helpful. Thanks uh, for your your time and your. I think yes. you're interested in this. Yes. So. No, I've long long had an interest, and I've, I've I've done some collecting in it, so I've got a bit of a collection. Right. But um, it's just fascinating and fun. Yeah. So uh, thanks again for your uh, participation in the program and. You're we we'll look forward to those exhibitions. Great. Thank you. I've been speaking with John 
Shoesmith, who is the author, author. of uh, Death Greatly Exaggerated, Canada's Thriving Small and Fine Press by the University of Toronto Library, published in 2013. Thanks again. Great, thank you.